0: Welcome to boost power podcast, inspiration, insights, and ideas for your business and your journey. Super. So we are here today on the global sisterhood network and with a podcast with Carolyn Palau and Carolyn, not only is a fantastic attorney, but she is a woman dedicated to living life to her fullest. Is that a nice way to say about I your busy so. life? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Carolyn juggles so many things, but she does everything a thousand percent. And um, Carolyn, today we just want to hear a little bit about your story. So, you know, how did a nice girl like you get in a profession like this? Um, well. Tell <laughs> a little bit about, you know, go back because people are always curious how people got to where they are.
1: Well. Um, I, frankly, was a humanities major getting my master's degree in fine art history, which was really what I loved. And one of these days I will get my PhD in comparative literature um, and become a professor. But that was a really long road and that was an expensive road. And um, I wasn't sure, nor were my parents, that it would be a financially sound road. So I really started thinking um, in my early 20s about what else would suit my personality, would suit my Um, inclinations and my passions, and so I knew a couple of things. And one is that I might get bored easily. I like new all the time. Um, And the other was that um, I like people. And um, I thought about it and I think that um, my personality is I tend to be a fairly strong person and I find that I can be strong for others. And so when I really sat down and thought about it, I decided I wanted to go to law school and be a trial lawyer and help people really in their crises because I can speak eloquently and I can make logical and cogent arguments and frankly some of my literature analysis it allows you to analyze subtext and different themes. Law is not that different. Um, And I have found over 22 years that frankly, I think some of my literary training has really helped me to be um, a very astute attorney because I do look between the lines and not just what is on black and white. And that sensitivity and sensibility has really um, made me very successful in the courtroom. So many people just look at the black and white. This is what this document says. But if you look at what it means and how it can be interpreted and why it should be interpreted that way, it can be very helpful. Um, During my law school career, I volunteered at at the Poverty Law Student Law Office and worked at the Samaritan House Homeless Shelter um, and found that people there, um, of course, cannot afford counsel, but they are there because they are homeless. They are still divorcing. They are still seeking custody of children. Um, Sometimes they have collateral criminal matters. These things often go hand in hand. When someone's life is falling apart, it usually falls apart in a very big way. Um, And so I've had um, a great deal of empathy for for people that really can't help themselves. And I really hear um, in the back of my mind always is, but for the grace of God, there go I. I had a lot of advantages, thanks to my parents, you know, that, that we knew one way or the other I'd get to college. My parents were not wealthy, they were blue collar laborers, they don't have college degrees, but I would go to college. That wasn't really a question. Um, and for many people that, uh, whether they're going to eat or not is a question. So I started blending in what I think are my privileges and my advantages. Um, I feel I owe others that obligation. I can see the argument, let me make it for you. Mm -hmm. I have the strength to walk you through this crisis. Let me walk with you. And that is how I approach my lawyering. Um, I take it very personally, I'm a sole practitioner. Um, I've had other associates, I've had a larger and, and smaller practice from time to time, but I find I just want it to be a personal relationship with my client. So I don't want someone going through a voicemail tree, pushing this button and a star, and then that extension to get to me. If you need to speak to me, you're gonna talk to me. You're gonna call my office and you'll reach me. Um, and I find the work to be very rewarding. It can be exhausting. Um, there's some you know, emotional drain after things so I was just on the phone um, managing a case where one parent exited the state of Colorado before filing for divorce Um, and when you're still married either parents on equal footing you can take your kids and you can go anywhere and there is no way to have that stop so once somebody has left I use extreme examples they're in China (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're in trouble as your spouse and your child are gone and you have to try to make them come back Um, And that is very, very, very difficult. So this particular parent has not seen his three-year-old in 11 weeks. Wow. And so um, these are things that people should know that before you divorce, if you feel you're headed down that path, it's a good idea to organize. Um, It's a good idea. Nobody ever wants to rush into a failure of a marriage. That is not wise. I always encourage people to really think this through. But if you think it's coming and you're just waiting to get through the holidays, you should be aware of what are your risks. Is this someone who might leave? Is this someone who might take passports and be in another country? Um, Is this someone who might drain our HELOC account? Um, And so it's not pleasant to speak to a lawyer. You You call when your lives are falling apart. But it is, I think important for people to be well-informed. I honestly have considered putting together sort of a everything everybody should know about divorce before you get married. Um, Hopefully, you'll never need that information, but these things should be in your toolbox. Um, You'd be surprised at how often bank accounts are drained, cell phones are cut off, children are removed, and then somebody goes and files. So whoever is thinking five steps ahead of you. And they are usually, you know, the not as nice person um, being more calculating. So, um, those are the kinds of things we work with. For criminal defense, things have really taken a turn, um, in my opinion, for the worst. The hashtag MeToo movement has had some really catastrophic collateral effects. And so, um, while it is certainly important for, for victims to not be shamed and to come forward, Um, In my opinion, in my experience, there's now a, uh, we've gone too far. So every, many women are looking back at every unpleasant experience they've ever had and reporting it as a criminal case. So there's a dramatic uptick in filings of sexual offense crimes, but they um, lately have been happening in many high school environments where young women will say, somebody brushed past me in a classroom and grazed my body, and that was unpleasant. And you have teenage boys being charged as sex offenders. And so that has become a real crisis as well, um, where we have, it's not always, you know, it's rarely (laughs) a rapist, a murderer, a kidnapper. It is very often a teenage boy. Sadly, they don't have um, a very good judgment. It's very, very often a teenage girl. Um, Again, poor judgment. Being an adolescent, it used to be that your folks would um, you know, grab you by the ear, so go say you're sorry, pay back the money, and things were managed in the community, and I think um, now it's, we're going to call the police. You know, Our neighbor boy egged our house, we're calling the police, and that's a crime. Um, it's criminal mischief, but it can give a teenager a criminal record. Uh, so things that we used to not, we used to manage, I think, within our communities and our neighborhoods, we knew our neighbors, have really fallen apart, and now it is we refer to the government, law enforcement authority to go speak to the neighbor boy that egged the house. Um, Sadly, I don't know that people grasp the catastrophic effects of, for example, a juvenile record on a teenager. Um, When you apply to college, you have to talk about if you've ever been disciplined, accused of a crime, if you're under criminal investigation. And again, I think when we talk about criminal defense, people are thinking, "Ooh, you represent rapists and murderers and not, you represent you know, yeah. this 15-year-old honors student who took a baseball bat to seven mailboxes in a moment of funniness um, and is now charged with felony criminal mischief. So those oh, are the goodness. kinds of things people just start thinking, you know, like I should be defensive and, and you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't live your life preparing for the worst. That's what I do. Um, but when things do go wrong, I think it's wise to seek counsel, even if it's as a prophylactic measure. Um, and see where things could go. When the school calls and says we're having your child into the office to speak to them, you should know that school resource offices are law enforcement officials and the statement made can and will be used against them in a court of law. It is not a formal interrogation, therefore your child is not advised of their Miranda rights. Wow, that's something very good to know. Mm -hmm. And parents do not have to be present. They can be, they do not have to be. That could really backfire on an angry
0: Teenager. Right. and they're asked not making put, very good choices.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And they're very often asked to put in writing what happened. Mm-hmm. And now we have a statement that cannot be retracted. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can imagine how thoughtful a 14-year-old in the principal office is about writing down what happened. Right. Um, it's quite dangerous. And we don't want kids to lie. We don't want kids, we teach them, talk, and be forthcoming but they can inadvertently confess to something that will be on their permanent transcript, permanent records, and really an unnecessary matter. So um, this is where things seem to be heading schools. Sadly, with Title IX um, statutes and federal regulations are finding themselves in sort of a law enforcement investigatory manner, and they have to document files. And um, there's been a lot of discussion out there about how far should schools go Is really investigating and, and holding sanctions and penalizing kids for um, crimes, but they don't have a choice considering where the status of the law is today, so.
0: Well, I'm curious, I mean, here we are here in Colorado, the world is listening, and of course, everybody when you say Colorado now talks mm-hmm. about marijuana yes. because we were one of the first states to legalize both the medical and the recreational. Are you seeing an uptick in Kind of in the drug enforcement world, like you know, we hear as parents, marijuana leads to greater things. Um, there's some horrific rumors as parents of lacing marijuana with heroin, you know, giving the marijuana away for free mm-hmm. to get the kids into the heroin. Um, are you seeing anything as an attorney where kids are getting wrapped up because of this marijuana frequency and its availability?
1: Are you seeing more mischief around that world? Definitely yes. Um, what? the legality of it for adults. Um, So Colorado has taken great steps to decriminalize marijuana. So there's now a special class of criminalization for adults. So it'll be a drug felony or drug misdemeanor. And typically the uh, protocols now are much more treatment oriented. However, marijuana is so widely available to 21-year-olds that we have older brothers and sisters, family members, friends, neighbors that are providing it to high school students. So I think there is much greater access with far less um, scrutiny for kids. Not seeing so much the the significant lacing of of opioids and and street drugs on a general basis. That seems to be taking its own path of of accessing those in their own way. But quite frankly, again, with the legality and, and the opiate epidemic in this country, when kids are in possession of those, it is often through mom's or dad's medicine cabinet. Right, And that's where they're getting it. And then, um, frankly, the parents bear some responsibility. So you can be charged with providing your children, well, one, negligence if you have not locked them up appropriately. Two, if you give your kids marijuana or alcohol or provide it for a party, it is contributing to the delinquency of a minor, which is a very serious charge for an adult. Um, and I think parents, again, underestimate that collateral consequence. And so again, you don't want everybody living in fear, but the law is the law even inside your own household and people have to be careful. But um, there are there is an uptick in possession for juveniles because it's just getting passed down from a 21-year-old to an 18-year-old to my 17-year-old brother and that's where that criminal implication begins. Yeah, I, that's
0: the danger zone. You are listening to Boost Power Podcast with your host, Betsy Wiersma. We are part of the Global Sisterhood Podcast Network, women who amplify their voices and are committed to inspiring all people with podcasts on purpose. Enjoy these true stories and proven business tips for your business and your life. Now, back to Boost. Tell everybody what you specialize in because, you know, you've kind of jumped, we jumped straight yes. actually into some very good examples and stories. But tell them kind of your,
1: um, your bailiwick,
0: as my mom would call it. That's an old word. Your bailiwick. Yes.
1: So I work in family law, and that involves um, custody, adoption, parenting time disputes. Really, the word custody is not used in Colorado, but it is all that goes with that. Decision-making authority, um, divorces property settlement, distribution, um, that sort of thing, and then criminal defense. And I do both juvenile delinquency and um, adult felony defenses, so within that gamut, either way. Um, Those usually involve things they can in a divorce, protection orders, Um, and of course DUIs, which are criminal defense, but people, again, don't think of them as a crime, but rather a bad choice on Mm -hmm. on a, Friday night or a holiday party, so um, that is something that I I transition into, but criminal defense and family law would be the, the things that we would call it.
0: And then we always like to tell the story of you because people, you know, want to know the story behind the story. They Mm -hmm. want to know who you are. So tell us along your path, you know, when was it tough and what did you learn? Because that is something people look at successful people and say, oh, it was so easy for Carolyn. She just put out the shingle, you know, no work. This is this, uh, you know, eat the bonbons life. And we know that the truth is, uh, as a woman, as a woman who is bold, Yes. And, and has a very well thoughtful opinion, but will be you know, against other probably men in yes. that courtroom. Um, tell us what you've learned
1: along your path. Uh, so I began, interestingly enough, I was seven months pregnant when I started law school. Um, it was just there was a confluence of, of biology where my clock was ticking and the need um, and desire to, to pursue my profession. Um, I ran into a professor with a first day of orientation who pulled me aside, um, asked me to come into his office and looked me straight in the eye and said, you need to drop out. That uh, there are more important things than practicing law and one of them is in your belly. Um, and I was horrified. I, that was in 1994, it wasn't in 1948. Um, <laughs> I was horrified. Um, and I persisted, nonetheless, she persisted, and I enrolled and I took my classes. And about one month in, I had uh, the dean of the school call me into his office and said, what are you thinking? We can have you withdraw, you know, you're now closer to nine months pregnant. And I said, um, I'm, thank you, thank you for your concern, but I'm gonna do this myself. Um, But I was essentially looked at very differently than many people um, and was strongly encouraged due to pregnancy to stop. Um, I did not listen. I'm not a good listener, apparently. Um, I'm not good at being told what to do. And so uh, not only did I have that baby um, in the first semester of my first year of law school, but I had my second child in the third year of law school. So I was the only person at law school graduation that was breastfeeding. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Um, Which I loved and I liked and I thought it was great. And I, um, but that work-life balance was, has always been a challenge. And I don't frankly think there's much of a balance. It's, you just do it on a need base. There's about a hundred percent to the kids on one given moment. And 80% to something else, and and there's not a lot of me left at the end of the day. And so that's been uh, really hard. I think that now as I'm older, finding that um, all of those balancing, so I ended up with four children, um, not by accident, (laughs) um, but we wanted a large family and a large practice, um, and so that was hard. And as I began my law practice, I really earned my own, way. I started off doing truancy work and um, delinquency work as court-appointed counsel at a very significantly reduced rate. I drove all over the state. I'd say, if you'll pay me, I'll come. And I would practice law in Grand County, Douglas County, Arapahoe County, Adams County. Um, I still do some of that um, and just learned and found my own way. Um, my husband worked nights so that we could balance our parenting responsibilities. And uh, you know, I learned to not sleep very long. Um, But I will say, as time went on, as a female, uh, particularly in trial, so there are extraordinary, extraordinarily few female criminal defense lawyers. Um, And one judge who shall rename uh, unnamed, but is currently on the Supreme Court of the state of Colorado, called up one of my colleagues and said, you know, I don't understand her, she never smiles. Um, And my colleague who was a male said, you realize she's fighting for the lives of people when she's in your courtroom. It's not much to smile about. But I've not heard that said about a male attorney. Um, and I frankly was hurt by that. I think I went home and shed a few tears and thought, why is it that when you're tough, when you're prepared, when you know your case, and when you're doing a good job, the question was, why wasn't I smiling? The question in law school was not, you're failing. It was, you just shouldn't be here because you're pregnant. Yeah. Um, and so I still find that to be true. I still think there is some sexism and gender bias in certain forums, and it's something that um, we need to overcome. I mean, I, I will tell you that I am considered to be the B word. A lot of people will say, we've heard you're a bitch, we want to hire you, as opposed to, highly effective, skilled lawyer who can take it to the mat.
0: Wow, that is such good perspective. And I hope many, many young women that are considering your field are listening and are inspired to say thank you for being a trailblazer for us. And and I think we need to continue to amplify this message, Carolyn, because it's so important I think sometimes the surface we smooth over everything and say, oh, yeah, 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 the water's fine. But the truth is to have that kind of feedback for all of us, you know, oh, gosh, you wear cute dresses, you know, like, oh, it's not about the dress. Absolutely. Yeah, it makes my skin actually crawl off my body. Uh Um, Well, the last thing I want to ask you for the podcast today and then we'll just um, do some questions. Um, what are you excited about now? So you've built this firm. Uh, okay, you're the B word, but you're, right. you're you're bringing it home for families. You're helping people in their worst times. Um, what are you excited about now as you, I'm sure your kids are a little bit older than breastfeeding.
1: Correct. <laughs> <laughs> past that phase. I, yes, I the, kids probably, are, the kids are leaving the nest. And so yeah. I actually have time to turn back to me. Um, and I think that rather than practicing really with that that you know the need to provide for um for children all of the time is now just what do i want to do and how do i want to bring myself to my practice and i'm finding it uh, far more fulfilling and i finally have gained um, frankly some more confidence in what i do so i feel a much greater sense of of accomplishment and peace when i'm taking on these cases that i really know after 22 years and after having the time to to the kids are mostly on their own. Um, I have to write checks on occasion, but um, they're mostly on their own that I can really focus on what I want to do and how I, exactly how I want to do it. Um, and I have found that to be very, very empowering with my clients. So I know exactly what I want out of this case. I know early on how I want the case to end. And I think that my, I've, um, I'm a very successful attorney in trial. And I'm finding that that's just going um, greater and greater. So mm-hmm. it's been a while since I've lost uh, a hearing or a trial. And I think that's part of it, just bringing all of myself to the process in a much more um, thoughtful and mindful way mm-hmm. has really helped the the practice. So.
0: Great. You know, a phrase that keeps coming to mind to share with you is, as I have matured in my career, I say match, not sell.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: I figure, here's what I've got. Yes. And I'm looking for the match of who needs that that I can bring all of me, my best of my ability, mm-hmm. to come to a common collaboration on an agreed goal. Exactly. And if it's not a match, I say thank you. You know, where I think young in business, in the yes. 20s, you'd be like, i got to sell something, or I've got to close, or I have to keep just working for anything and put it all in a big funnel and then suffer. From someone that probably were not the right client and then just took me down. Exactly. <laughs> because, you know, their communication skills were poor and they didn't express themselves. I couldn't measure success, et cetera. But uh, I think that the joy of having more maturity in our careers is
1: the service side, knowing we are the right match. I think that's exactly what's been happening. I've been able to tailor what I want to do and who I want to do it for. Um, and to be frankly, even that much more. Um, transparent with the client not in that you know I'll help you and you don't need me to but to sit them down and say I'm not sure you need to hire me today Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure this relationship will work because these are for me at least and I think for the clients they become a a very meaningful and important relationship Um, one that you all want to end (laughs) when the case is resolved but they really are personal relationships and I find that that nurturing that so that everybody is happy at a minimum, while it is a bad time in someone's life, they walk away feeling that, that they did it the best way possible and having some peace with, we resolved this, we're where we need to be and can move forward. Well, uh,
0: anyone who's going through uh, you know, a change in their marital status, let's call it that way, um, who's planning for that or knows that that might be imminent, and anyone who needs family law adoption, I'm a, a parent of an adopted Baby girl who is now not a baby girl anymore, 17. Um, but our adoption process was really critical about our attorney who was in Chicago at the time. So, um, thank you for the work you do in the world. And will you tell everyone how to get a hold of you yes. and how to reach you, please?
1: So, my name is Carolyn Peloux. Um, the number is 720 353 4053. My email is Peloux, P E L L O U X law at MSN.com. Um, and then we also have the Palou Law Firm website, which has um, all the contact information you would need and some biography information.
0: So this has been Carolyn Palou here at the Global Sisterhood Network. We are so happy to have you on the show today. And we look forward to many, many years of checking back in with you, uh, just to share your greatness with the world and your incredible competence. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Boost Power Podcast and plugging into stories from the journey of business and life. Our music today is by singer-songwriter Megan Burt. We are recorded at Cinder Sound Studios and we're part of the Global Sisterhood Podcast Network, women who amplify their voices and are committed to inspiring all people with podcasts on purpose. Learn more at globalsisterhoodpodcastnetwork.com.